Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Okay, for those of you who don't know me, thank you, Laura, for my introduction. Uh, My name's Lucy, and I have been coming to the evening community for about three years now. So, or nearly three years, which when I was working it out today was, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And Chris, I don't know, he gives me hard topics. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's actually a topic I feel really passionate about. I believe that um, there's so much to learn and so much beauty to be found in this topic. And so I actually, I'm pretty sure I was the one that, went, that came to Chris and said, I'd love to, I'd love to speak about this topic. Um, and so Chris spoke last week about the problem of pain or the theology of suffering. I really recommend you having a listen if you didn't get a chance to come to last week. But in essence, what Chris was saying is that we often ask people why or we ask God why this is happening. And Chris said, really, the question should be changed to what are you going to do about it? And, um, and then goes on to show us what God actually did in his response to the world's suffering and, um, and that was Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying for us. And so when um, we're exploring this topic, um, I'm exploring it with that context in mind. Um, and so, oh yeah, it's up there. Um, so Chris gave me the title of this talk as Holding On to Hope During Suffering. And I realize that this talk is a talk about hope. It's about the courage and um, beauty that can be found with with true biblical hope. And it's then about that in the context of suffering. So I use this quote, which I have no idea where it's from. Um, It's often in the darkest night that you see the brightest stars because I think it's really important for us to to think and remember this concept as we're exploring the relationship between hope and suffering. When you're in the city and you look up and see up to the sky and you see the stars, they're pretty cool. Um, And you can see some of them, but then when you go out into the country and then you look up and see the skies, the light pollution is gone and it just blows your mind. So there's something about when the night is really dark that you can really see the stars. And so if we think about this in the context of hope and suffering, um, if hope are the stars, then suffering is, is that dark night. And sometimes it's only really in that suffering, and when it's dark, that you can really see hope, biblical hope, in its, in its truest, most powerful form. So I wanted to start with a little summary. What is, how do we define biblical hope? Because we all have different ideas of what hope actually is. And I watched this video, you know I love the Bible Project. I watched this video about hope from the Bible Project because I wanted to use it to summarize what I was going to say about hope. But then I realized it is so good and it summarizes it so well that we're just going to play the video. And I just want to say, watch it. There's a lot of information, but see if you can pull away some takeaways about biblical hope that you might not have thought about before. Let's play the video, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Good, right? We could just like watch that again and again and get all the pieces of information out of it. But I have summed it up. If we go to the next slide, Josh, some key points 
of which they could be many. Biblical hope is not optimism, more because we're naive, so don't know what to expect and therefore hope for it. It's, it's not based on circumstance. Jesus' death and resurrection brought about a living hope, and we sang about a living hope tonight, and that's what we're singing about. The El Peace, or hope of glory, is in fact a person. The hope, this hope is not just for humans, but for the whole universe. And Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward to his return. I think there's something so powerful about this truth and what biblical hope is, because this is the context with which we talk about suffering. So this is important because I believe that hope is the foundation, is one of the foundations of our faith because it's based on a person and that person is Jesus. And so hope is where the rubber hits the road in our lives. And then we, we give the context of hope and then we look at its relationship to suffering. And so we ask the question, you know, what is suffering? We all have different ideas of, of suffering, and Chris looked at it a bit last week, but suffering in its, it, like, I looked it up, I was thinking, everyone knows what suffering is. <laughs> and I looked it up, and it's a really simple definition. It just says the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. So if we haven't already experienced some form of suffering already in our lives, then there's an inevitability that at some point we will. And that's not negative. That's just, as Chris was talking about last week, that's um, the consequences of living in the world that we live in and in this now and not yet time before Christ returns. So I wanted to just not look at suffering itself, but look at God's response to suffering. Because we, we all have different ideas of what suffering is, and suffering could be many things. It could be mental suffering, physical suffering. It could be persecution, which we see a bit in Scripture. Or it could be watching, watching the suffering of someone you love. Um, sometimes that can, be the worst kind, that can be the worst kind of suffering um, to experience in your own life. And so how do we, like handle and hold on to this hope during suffering and what's God's response to suffering and so if we go to the next slide Josh um Chris spoke about God's response that he I'm going to talk about two responses um, that God has to suffering the first is to the world's suffering and the second is to an individual's suffering because I think what Chris was speaking about last last week was so important um God saw the suffering of the world and he made a plan that would mean that he would make sure there was no suffering and no more pain in the world. He like did a, like a, a big plan. And um, when Chris spoke about it last week, he, he pulled out this verse and, and this is God's response to the world's suffering. He made a plan and he put it in place. And at the end, in Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe up every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That truth, that truth of what God has done for the world is foundational to our hope. But in everyday life, sometimes we can, we're not so when we're going through suffering ourselves, we're not so comforted by the big picture. I mean, we understand that the, the big picture is profound, but 
at that moment in time, right then, I need to know that God is um, interested in walking alongside me personally in my suffering, as well as this whole big plan he has to save the world, which he has done. And that's not to diminish this. This is what it's all about. Um, But as we walk this journey, um, it will be interesting to explore how God responds to an individual's suffering. So I went back to um, to 1 Kings, and I I, I want to tell you a story about Elijah. So Elijah was a prophet, um, one of God's prophets to the kingdom of Israel. So at that time... Israel was, was divided into two kingdoms. The land of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And God sent, sent prophets to each of those lands throughout um, different periods of history to tell them to repent or to tell them something of his word in that season. And so he sent Elijah to the land of Israel at a time when King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were ruling the land. And they had um, done away with the prophets of the Lord, of, of God, and they were now worshipping Baal. And Baal um, had all these priests and prophets come in, and the land of Israel was basically worshipping a complete, completely other God. And not only that, but King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had done, put out an order to kill all the prophets. So they were just being killed one by one. I mean, it if you were Elijah, can you just imagine that? These were your friends, and they're just being killed one by one by one by one. And, um, and Elijah was just like, was fed up. And so he basically turned around to, he, they met on this mountain, and he turned around to the prophets of Baal, and he said, okay, let's settle this once and for all. Let's um, do a face-off, basically. You go over here and put an altar and... Um, and uh, place an animal on this altar and worship your God and see if he will send fire down to light this, this altar. So he's like basically saying, you go over there and you do that with your God. I'll go over here and I'll, I'll do it with my God and then we'll see um, who's really God of this land. And so he set it all up and um, he told the prophets of prophets and priests of Baal to, to cool down fire from heaven from their God and they tried and tried hours and nothing happened. And then eventually um, Elijah started taunting them and said, okay, enough, let me show you how it's done. And he came along and he built an altar to God with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel united as one land again. And he placed wood on that and then he placed an offering on that. And then he just to add insult to injury, poured water over the whole thing. Not just once, but three times. He just poured water and then poured water and poured water again. And they dug out this well and um, water filled this well. And he went, God, can you show them that you are God of Israel? And fire came down. It was, um, and, it, and it dried up all the water. It kind of blew up the offering and, um, and the prophets of Baal ran away and Elijah had them all killed. And so basically he was just witness to one of the most unbelievable miracles that we read about in the Old Testament. I mean, that is a, a story right there. And, um, and then Queen Jezebel and King Ahab found out that he'd done this and that he'd killed the prophets of Baal. 
and um, they put out a decree basically and said, by the end of the day, you will be dead. You will be like one of those prophets. And Elijah ran, terrified, into the mountains. Can you imagine having come from this place of just like, my God can do anything? to um, absolute fear and terror. And, and this is where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to the broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah is suffering immensely at this time. He has just ran away from everything and he is afraid for his life. And there's lots of different ways that you could respond to this, but the way that God responded to Elijah's suffering was different to how you might think. I I don't know about you, but I was kind of going, Elijah, come on, pull yourself together. Look what you've just seen. Get a bit of faith going and know that it's going to be okay. But that's not how God responded when he saw Elijah suffering, God, it says here, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. So God sent an angel to feed him. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Basically, even though he was suffering, because he was suffering deeply, but God didn't say, come on, Elijah, look what I've just done. Where's your faith? He said, have something to eat. You're really tired. And then the next part of that story was that Elijah went to the mountain and God said, I want to talk to you. And so God had a conversation with Elijah in the mountain. And and he basically said, Elijah, what's wrong? And Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And then God continues to have a conversation with him to tell Elijah what to do next. And one of the things that God says to Elijah is, if you go down to a particular field, you'll find a man called Elisha, anoint him with oil and, um, and he will be the prophet that um, he will be your successor, basically. So not only did God give Elijah something to eat because he was hungry, God also provided a company and someone for Elisha to then spend, Elijah, sorry, to then spend eight years with before he was taken, before the end of his ministry. So God provided in very real ways for Elijah's suffering. And I think it's just really, it's a really good story for us to read because it's really easy for us to think of Elijah as this awesome man of God who was just untouchable. But him, like everyone else, struggled with things. And in his time of struggle, there wasn't a punishment that he should know better because he's like Elijah. It was, let me give you the things that you need, or provide a way for your needs to be met. So sometimes when we pray, we ask God, God, can you, I need you right now. I need you to come right now in this moment. I can't do this anymore. And, and he brings someone else along your path. 
that angel that provided the bread and the water. It wasn't exactly, Elijah wasn't sure what was happening, but basically God was providing real need, real provision for his need and was doing it with an angel. And we all have those people in our lives who can be there when times are tough. Or, um, and it's in those moments that you realize that God's hands and feet aren't always um, directly from his word, but other people walking around in the community and the church that we're a part of, or another one if you're a part of that. So God comforts us and draws near to us when we're suffering. He doesn't pull away. We, we pull away sometimes, but he doesn't pull away. So that's looking at the, God's response to the one, God's response to the world, and then God's response to an individual story. Um, but then if we can take this one step for, further and just look at practical ways that we can respond to suffering ourselves and how we can hold on to hope during suffering. And so I've come up with four practical things. Some of these are drawn on experiences from my own life. So um, I... I've chosen them because I believe that they're pretty applicable to all of us here in some respect. Yeah, basically that's, um, that's us getting practical. This is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. <laughs> it's true. And these next four points, it's about getting practical as well. We understand the theory and the theory um, and what God has done and um, what he is doing in our lives and growing in our lives is essential. But there's some practical tips we can take on board as well. So the next, the next one is look up. So some of you know that I used to train really hard for a particular sport and, um, and training... I played table tennis, and the training for table tennis was pretty hard and pretty brutal, and it's known as one of the fastest reflex sports in the world. However, that's debatable. People who play badminton think it, badminton's the fastest reflex sport in the world, and so people who play table tennis disagree. Uh, so, yeah, and, and basically, the ball is moving so fast that you have no time to consciously think about the shot that you're going to play when you go to play it. The only way that the shot works the way that you want it to work is, if, uh, is muscle memory because it's such a reflex sport. And the same thing applies when we're holding on to hope and going through tough times. Um, stepping into a relationship with Jesus and pressing into him um, and getting to know him at this time, even if we're not necessarily going through a tough time, is, um, produces this strength and this relationship that means that it's almost muscle memory when times get really tough. And um, I don't know about you, but when you've been in a relationship with someone and when you get to know them a bit, you realise that essentially the more that you get to know them, the more you know how they're going to respond in a given situation. And it, you feel safe and encouraging in that, in that knowledge that you know them. It's the same with a relationship with Jesus. And, and again, I want to point out that our hope is a person. And, and so holding on to hope involves pressing in into that relationship with him. So let's get practical. Look up. David says in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains where, where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, sometimes looking up and remembering where our help comes from and, and just 
quick, it's a really hard time just quickly looking up and saying, God, help me, is one of the, mo- the simple, most practical things I can give you to do. And if you're in a situation where life is so tough that you don't even have the headspace to pray, then I would encourage you one of the things that um, I've done is literally just look up, walk outside, look at the sky and see the blue. Because um, sometimes a, a physical act is, um, can, can reflect something spiritual going on. And me and God have this thing where if, if I don't have the strength to, to necessarily pray in that time, I just look up and he knows I'm, it's me and him and we can do this. It's just that, okay, we've got this. And so even just looking up and just remembering where your help comes from in those times when life gets really hard. Tip number two, stay in close. Now, this is about community. This one's about community. And again, I'm speaking mainly to myself because one of the things that we have a tendency to do when we're going through really hard times is to isolate ourselves for lots and lots of reasons. Um whether it's the shame of what we're going through because maybe we think we've brought it on ourselves or maybe it's that um, we don't want to put anyone else through what we're going through. It could be a lot of reasons why we, we move a bit further away. But there's something that happens when, you, when you're suffering and you're alone which doesn't happen, happen when you're suffering and in community. So suffering actually looks different when you're in a community than when you're on your own. And I have um, been in situations where I have suffered hardship and pain in community and outside of community. And there is a strength that comes from a hope that other people have as well that can sustain you in times of hardship when you don't have anything left. I remember one time I spoke to a friend and I said, I, life is just really hard for me right now. And I just don't have anything left. I don't, I, I was like, I feel like I shouldn't even say this, but I, I, just, I just don't see this getting better. I just run out of hope. And it was one of those moments where I just couldn't believe I was even saying it. How do you even get here? Um, and she just turned around to me and she put her arm on my shoulder and she said, I'll hold your hope. And I remember that moment and it impacted me so strongly because I realized what she was saying in that moment is that that we as the church are meant to carry each other's burdens and also carry each other's hope when they can't carry it. This is, we are designed to be in community to support each other and encourage each other. And so this one's to me as much as, as everyone else, when times get really tough, to stay in close with the people that God, God has put around me because it's as much a blessing to someone to be able to support you in your suffering as it is for you to be supported. There's a beauty in both those things. So in Corinthians 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The church is meant to be a refuge for those suffering. When a member is hurting, the church applies the bandages. When a member is down, the church encourages. When a member is in need, the church comes alongside to help. This is our community and there's something so beautiful about what a community can bring when you're going through a tough time. 
So try and stay in close if you can. Point number three, be real. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain, which Chris quoted last week, says, the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Sometimes we, are, we attribute different scales of suffering, good or, you know, one to four, is one being the worst kind of suffering and four not being bad, so I'm not going to talk about it. And, um, and what's really important is that suffering is very unique to the individual. So what could be bringing you to your knees might not bring your neighbour to, or your brother or your sister to their knees, but what brings them to your, their knees is, is the same. And so you're like, okay, how do we support each other? Well, they're stronger in this area, you're stronger in this area, and together you can be a support, but you have to kind of be real with that. If you're real and you say what you're suffering, someone else might have just walked that journey and be able to walk alongside you. And that just gives you the strength to hold on to your hope. Okay, one more and then we're nearly done. Number four, reach out. Corrie Ten Boom, I don't know who knows Corrie Ten Boom. She's a really awesome woman and you should so read her book, The Hiding Place. She says, do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world and when it is blocked, that means pain. There are two things we can do when this happens. We can kill that love so that it stops hurting, but then, of course, part of us dies too. Or we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel. It's a pretty powerful quote. And one thing I would say to this is that we are created and designed to be in community and to encourage one another. So when I encourage you to reach out and help your friend or your neighbour or your um, brother or sister when you are still suffering... I don't do it out of some kind of be a martyr. I say it because within the very reaching out and supporting someone else in their suffering, there is something that's imparted in you that we were always created to be. There is something that helps you to be and gives you hope where you didn't have before in your own journey, even though the person you're helping is, is next to you. And um, so I do encourage you, where you can, to reach out because... When, we're, when I am confronted with someone who has gone through something that maybe has touched my life in some way, I have so much more empathy and so much more compassion and so much more grace when I have a conversation with them because I understand what they're going through. And there is this empowerment that we have when we've walked a journey that essentially gives us the right to turn around and say, I know how hard that is in my own way, and I want to walk alongside you in this. I'm not walking what you're go I'm not going through what you've gone through, but I know what I've gone through, and I think it's similar enough for us to be able to walk together and to encourage each other. So if you can, number four, reach out. Those are my like four practical, practical points. Remember the meme. Sometimes it's good to just sleep. Um, but how do you sum up this, this um, relationship between hope and suffering? I want to go back to the analogy at the, at the beginning. You've got the stars and they're brightest in the night sky. And the darker the night, the brighter the stars. And, um, and there's this strength that hope gives us that comes out in almost technicolor when suffering happens. And so there's a beauty to what you see and discover about hope when you're going through a tough time. So when you guys 
do go through tough times, and if you are now, remember that there is something that you can discover that you can hold on to for the rest of your life. Nothing is ever wasted in this. Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 20, which is the next verse, is a really powerful verse, and it's one of my favorite verses, which is why I wanted to read it. It says, God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. This hope is life-changing, and it's all we need to sustain us for this journey. And so one thing I was really aware of as I was exploring this topic, holding on to hope during suffering, was that some of us might be going through an incredibly tough time right now, and none of what I have said is meant to diminish that in any way. Um, But I think the kind of The point I want to make more than anything is that we have a hope and our hope is in Jesus. And if we're suffering and if we can't seem to find a way through, we have Jesus. And Jesus is unchangeable and he gives us courage and strength to walk through the difficult parts of our lives. And it doesn't matter how we respond or how in what situations we respond because it's important not to judge someone else's response to suffering. Each of our responses is what it is and Jesus comes alongside us and walks with that. So if you, I think I wanted to, um, I was talking to Chris about this and in the time of ministry, I just really wanted to invite anyone who was going through a difficult time of what could be anything, mental, physical, whatever, pain, it doesn't matter what it is. But, um, and I, I have listened to this and looked at hope and what that hope is. And it's like, I need some of that. Um, that's what I need. Um, I'd really like to invite you to come up the front and get some prayer about um, basically inviting you to, we want to pray with you as a community. Not suffer, there is nothing to be ashamed of in suffering at all. We just want to pray with you because many of us have walked through this journey. Many of us still are. I probably, including myself even very recently, that story that I told you about holding on to hope, that wasn't very long ago. So we all have these moments when life is really tough and Jesus is right there to meet us right where we are and give us everything that we need. And I have absolutely no doubt about that. So... That's my prayer for tonight, that that hope and the truth of, the, of that hope would cement so deep into our hearts that it would sustain us for everything that we need today, everything that we need tomorrow, and everything that we need to walk through whatever suffering, hardships, pain look like in our lives. So if I'd, like, I'd like to invite you to stand.